Morning, everybody. We're going to be looking at Psalm 55 this morning. Psalm 55. Uh, it's page 459, if you're using the Bible there in front of you. Um, I'm not going to read the text ahead. We'll be reading it as we go through. Uh, our text, particularly, will be Psalm 55, verse 22, because we're in a series on the promises of God, and verse 22 is actually the promise we'll be focusing on. We're looking at a promise this morning that God makes to us in a situation that everybody faces. Uh, these emojis depict that situation, even though they are all different looking emojis. They are all emojis that are uh, described as being stressed out or stress. Um, one guy looks terrorized, the one to the left, next one looks kind of sad. The guy to the right has a uh, catatonic uh, blank stare. Stress is revealed in us in different ways. Uh, though it is a modern term, it is an emotional, mental reaction that people have always struggled with. Not only do we have different emotional responses and facial expressions, we have different physical system, symptoms related to stress. Um, some people are sires. My mother was an expert sire, and my wife has told me that I have inherited this, <laughs> and that when I'm stressed, I tend to sigh. I don't even know it, but apparently I do, and it has caused me to actually read, why do you sigh when you are stressed? And I found that there is actually a physical reason, and it, it's helpful, uh, which I've shared with Marin. Um, <laughs> but we have different reactions to stress. Some people grit their teeth uh, unknowingly a lot of times at night when, when they're uh, under stress. And if you wake up in the morning and your jaw aches, you may be showing the symptoms of stress. Some people have digestive issues. Some people get chest pain. Some have headaches. Some break out in a rash. I mean, your whole body can react to stress. Now, if we're going to talk about stress, I think whenever you use a term that's as nebulous as the word stress, it's important to get some definitions. So, I'd like to give what I think, and this is a pretty common definition of stress in general, it is a physical, mental, or emotional strain or tension, but I'd like to go farther than that because physical stress, I mean, stress on your body, you get that working out at the gym, and that can be a positive, right? I mean, that's, that's not necessarily a negative. When we think of stress, I think it's the emotional, mental stress that we're usually talking about, and I believe this is a good working definition. A condition experienced when a person perceives that de demands exceed the personal resources the individual is able to mobilize. That we don't feel we have enough to cope with situations we are about to go into or already in. This is exactly what is happening to David in Psalm 55. This is the malady that he is facing in himself. And as he talks about his struggles, he presents to us the uniquely God-appointed resources to respond to it. Now, this response that he is going to give us and God's promise in relation to it may not remove all vestiges of your catatonic expression. You'll still 
probably have some of the blank stare. It may not instantaneously liberate you from a stomach ache or a sore jaw, sore jaw, but God is making a very specific promise in Psalm 55, verse 22. And it is in the context of stress. Here's the promise, verse 22. Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. How will that help me with all the stressors in my life? Well, remember what causes you to feel stressed. It is a condition experienced when a person perceives that demands exceed the personal resources the individual is able to mobilize. Such was David's situation in Psalm 55. We'll see that as we look at some parts of the psalm. And what David is saying to us in the midst of emotional, mental stress, which is so real in our lives, there is a promise that God has given, and it is a conditional promise. It is conditioned on us doing our part, cast your cares. It is then God reciprocates doing his part. I will sustain you. I will not let you be shaken. I'd like to think of what those things are talking about this morning, and we're going to look at them here, and the first thing we see is your part, our part, cast your cares. Why do we need to cast our cares? Well, David tells us in his own story in verse 1 to 21, and we'll highlight some verses there, and he tells us three things were going on with him, and see if you don't identify with these three things. Three things were going on when he then alludes to this promise in verse 22. In verses 1 through 5, here's what he says. He says, listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. Hear me and answer me. My thoughts trouble me, and I am distraught because of what my enemy is saying, because of the threats of the wicked, for they bring down suffering on me and assail me in their anger. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen on me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. He says, this is horrible, and it's such a horrible situation. It's overwhelmingly, the word overwhelming means to cover. And he says, I'm in over my head. The, the troubles are just overwhelmingly. We Americans have perfected the art or perfected the view that we can do and should be able to do whatever comes to us that we should be able to handle it. We have an incredible expectation on ourselves that we should be able to handle every situation. And it, is, it adds to the tension of stress because not only are we dealing with the, the difficult circumstances that are very painful, as we'll see, but we also add the self-flagellating, condemning, accusing, because I ought to be able to handle situations. Um, I, I've mentioned this book before. It was given to me by a female missionary years ago. It's called The Yin and the Yang of American Culture. It was written by Dr. Um, uh, Kim. And she was a South Korean young adult who came over and did her graduate studies here in the United States, eventually stayed, um, got her PhD, and became a CEO of a company that was um, that basically works with American companies and foreign countries to try to help them understand each other. And basically, in this particular book, she is explaining American culture. And it's a fascinating read. I mean, it's, 
it's interesting to look at yourselves through someone that is evaluating from the outside. And basically, she says there are the yang, uh, the positive that she would say, the energy, positive energy qualities of Americans. And then she says, and then there are the yin, the negative uh, energy, the negative qualities. And she gives about 14 or 15 of both. In the positive one, the yang qualities, and she does them sequentially, the first four, I'm just going to highlight three of them. Here are three of the top four in her estimation. Americans have the positive qualities and energy of, one, dreaming the impossible, frontier spirit, daring to be yourself, this gung-ho, I can do anything, I should be able to overcome any, everything mentality. And she also, of course, gives the yin, which are the negative qualities of we Westerners, and these are her top five, right in order. Expectation of an easy life, insistence on rights, refusal to grow up, never slowing down, obsession with control. You've never met anybody like that. <laughs> and, but there's this, this sense that, that if you feel in over your head, you feel bad about it especially from a culture that is saying you ought to be able to, to, to handle your problems. You ought to be able to do life. You, you shouldn't be weak. You shouldn't be in pain. You shouldn't be struggling. You should be a conqueror. So what David is describing, we have in spades, this whole idea of the, the, the trouble of feeling you're in over your head. But Christianity, and I'm talking about Jesus Christianity utterly turns this perception on its head. It says you are not wired to handle your life in your own strength. That awful sense that you have that you are in over your head, it is not a bad thing. It's a gift. A gift that you might learn to cast on God. You are not created for a life of independence. None of you were. You're created to do life humanly, holistically, as a life of dependence with God at the center. He created us that way. You are in over your head, he says, and stress helps you to have to reckon with your own inadequacy. And David says, man, that's me. I, I felt this was a season when I really felt in over my head. I mean, it overwhelmed me. The second thing he said, I was in pain. Verse 4, and then down to verse 12, he says this, My heart is in anguish within me. Down in verse 12, For it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me, then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. David says, first of all, I'm, I'm in pain. My heart is in anguish. The word in anguish literally means I have the pain that came from a wound. He says, my heart is bleeding. And he says, one of the reasons is it isn't just people that I, that I don't care about that are attacking me. He says, there's somebody I'm doing life with, somebody very close in my life, my, my familiar friend, my companion. And he says, I feel pain, deep pain, emotional pain. Ask any school teacher, any therapist, any social worker, any HR rep, any medical doctor, do people seem to be in more emotional pain today? And they will categorically say Yes. Eating disorders, self-destructive behavior, addictive behaviors, anxiety, phobias, rage, people are hurting and in pain. 
That is true in the church and as well as out of the church. It is not them, it is us. And sometimes religious people, Christian people, contribute to the pain by implying that emotional pain is weakness. Because everyone, to one degree or another, is in pain. The most dangerous people are those that cannot acknowledge their own internal struggle. I mean, think of who David was. This is a guy who, as a teenager, was out in the field, far from home, way out in the wilderness with his father's sheep, and a bear showed up. I mean, a bear, a big bear, big claw bear. This bear shows up, and David did not do what you and I would do, break the world record for the 100 meters. (laughs) He took his slingshot, and he, and he bopped the thing. He took it down. Now imagine if he missed, or worse, imagine if he hit it and it didn't take the guy down. He killed a bear some other time. Again, this is a teen, young teen. He's out there, and a lion comes. Same drill. This is not a coward. This is not a weak man. This is a guy who became a warrior. As a matter of fact, they sang the ditty in Jerusalem. Saul has killed his thousands. David killed his tens of thousands. Now, they may have have been hyperbole and they were exaggerating, but he certainly killed some of them. This was a guy that was a warrior. He was a strong man. But he was a man whose writings reveal his journey with pain. When you are honest with what is going on inside of you, there are times of pain. And that is true for every person in this room, every person online. Life is hard. There is pain. We feel this. We feel overwhelmed. We feel internal pain. We feel the anguish. We also feel what David felt. (laughs) We often feel what David felt. The third thing, you feel trapped. Look at what he says in verse 6. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I'd fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. Selah, which actually means stop for a minute and think about it. Okay. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. David said, I want out. I want to fly away. The Southwest commercials want to get away. He did. At that moment, confronted with the same feeling that you and I often have, and I'll guarantee a number of you are having right now. You're looking for an escape. Life is overwhelming. There's pain. There's a feeling of being trapped. And there are many alternatives that you can turn to. People feeling trapped look for escape in many ways. A lot of people turn to booze. A lot of people turn to a destructive or an illicit relationship. People turn to drugs. People turn to pornography. You deserve a break today. Bury your head down and work harder. Perhaps the most common American practice. Just, I'm not going to deal with it. I'm not going to deal. I'm not going to look inside. I'm going to push on. I'm going to push through. As if somehow that makes emotional pain go away. All it does is make it louder. But we can push on for a while, not face the pain. 
Life is out of control, overwhelming, too much, too much pain, too much confusion. It's interesting in verse 2 in the ESV version, it, it says the noise of the enemy. There's too much noise. And we want out, and the thing is, you don't really escape your internal stuff by just getting out. You can't really fly away. There's no real place to go because you take yourself wherever you go. We had a man many years ago who was part of our church. I've mentioned him before. His name was Richard. Richard came to our church. We were a fairly young congregation at the time. I got to know Richard as he came to our services. We started having studies together. It was an incredible opportunity for me to just hear his story and God's pursuit of Richard. Richard had been the senior executive vice president of a Fortune 500, one of the largest companies in America. If I said the name, you, you, you've all heard of it. He literally was the guy that was being groomed to be the CEO of the corporation. He really did have a private jet that he flew all over the country, and this was a number of years ago. He was tremendously successful. He was a good German guy, bull in a china shop, took the world on. Yet Richard was living in Psalm 55. Inside, he was overwhelmed. He was in pain. He wanted out. He had the wherewithal to do it. So Richard bought a farm in Virginia. Hundreds, I mean, a giant farm. And he did, if you remember back in the day, he did the Green Acres he was Eddie Albert. He took his wife, Jaja, along. Her name wasn't Jaja. They went and he rode a tractor. He had a blast. He didn't have any pressure. Their kids had just become grown, and so they could do it. They just packed up and went. And that lasted for a little under two years. And somewhere about a year and a half into this thing of him getting out of the rat race and realize, you know, just think, I just got to get away from the pressure. I hate this. And, and just now being able to travel anywhere he wanted, do whatever he wanted, he realized, I don't feel settled inside. I, I still feel pain. I, I still, I, I, it's not worth So he said, then he concluded, logically, I, I went too far. I made too big a step. So he then concluded that he would get back and, and he would get back in the work world but not at the same level of pressure. So he came, and the reason I knew him is he came to this area, and he worked with whatever the iteration of RCA, GE, Lockheed Martin, Martin Marietta, whatever it was at that time, he had enough networking relationships in the whole business world that he easily got a job. And what was for him a lower-level uh, management role, was, it was he was actually in the executive team, but not, not the, the top managers, and... That's where he wanted to be. He got where he wanted to be. And so he was back in the game, right? Back in the game, but without the pressure that was killing him before. But it didn't work. And he turned to alcohol, and he was driving under the influence one night, and he got in a car accident that should have killed him. And that's when I got to know Richard. And... He told me this whole story, and God in his grace just drew Richard to his own need of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And he began then a journey. And in his own words, he could have expressed it so much better, but basically what happened with him was he began to learn that doing life with God, not trying to meet the needs of pain in his own heart, 
not trying to deal with being overwhelmed in his own strength, that he really could rely on God, that he could really do life with God, that really God was personal alongside of him. He found what he had been trying to find in all those different ways, in all those different places. That the reason that we do what this promise says we need to do, cast our cares on God, is because we are not wired to do life without him. So how then do we cast our cares? Well, first of all, we recognize what they are. Understand what your cares are. First of all, understand that they are things that are given to you. The word here in the Hebrew, and the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, that's translated burdens in the ESV and cares in the NIV is literally the verb what is given. In other words, cast what is given. It's an interesting statement. Well, who gave them to you? Well, the implication is clearly God. God gave you your struggles. He allowed them to come. We talked about that last week when we talked about the shield around us, the protection of God. God lets in certain things. There's, there's, there's myriads of things God doesn't let into your life every day. So whatever you're experiencing in your life now, he has allowed it in. But he's allowed it in to give you the hope that you can know that if it's there, he is also giving the grace to do life with that. Secondly, recognize they are anxieties to you. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew in around 400 B.C. The, the Greeks took over the world. Alexander the Great and the boys took over the whole world. And now everybody spoke Greek. And so they put together a Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. Just like we do today, we don't read together the Hebrew or the Greek. We read English. Well, they now took the Hebrew of the Old Testament and they had a Greek version, which they used. It was called the Septuagint. The Septuagint means 70. There were 70 translators. That's why. And so this translation of this verse did an interesting thing. It translated the word, cast your care by the word anxiety. And literally, anxiety means to divide it. And we know that it was a, a true sense of what God was saying because Peter quotes it later in 1 Peter 5. And in the Greek New Testament, he actually quotes it that way. Anxieties means you're divided. That when we're casting our cares, we're casting our anxieties. There are things that have been given. But they also are things that are causing us to, to feel overwhelmed and, and divided. It's just like, I've said it before, it's like gnats ratting around your head. And, and that's what cares do to you. They eat you up. They make you want to get away. They, they, they cause you to feel overwhelmed. We can't focus on one thing because we're divided. That's what anxieties do to us all the time. And whether your emoji is a catatonic person or a fearful or, 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 or angry or whatever, um, you're distracted. The gnats are buzzing around you, and they are more than you can handle. So what do you do with these cares that are heavy? Well, he says, cast them on God. Peter quotes this verse here in 1 Peter 5. He says, humble yourselves therefore unto God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. And then he quotes verse 22, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He says, you have two options 
when you are feeling like you feel, David felt in Psalm 55, overwhelmed, you're in over your head, you, you, you feel internal pain, you, you feel you, you do not have the resources to, to cope with what is coming your way. He says you have two options, and there is no third curtain. One curtain is you, that you can choose is you can cast your cares on God. The only other option is to carry them. You can carry them yourself. You can cast them and let God carry them in some way, or you can carry them yourself. But he's saying these are your options. And the interesting thing Peter is saying is proud people carry them. Humble people cast them. It literally reads, verb form, imperative, humble yourselves, and then participle, which means modify. Literally, it states this way, humble yourselves by casting your anxiety on God. That's how you live as a humble person. You are casting your cares. You're not trying to tough them through and carry them. We need to continually be doing that, to be continually casting our cares. Just in a practical way, what he is saying is there are specific things that are now going on in your life. There are specific issues. They're like gnats around you. And, and, and honestly, if I asked you what's bothering you, maybe you'd, you'd be able to verbalize two, three, but you've probably got 17 things. If you're feeling like David feels this way, just overwhelmed, and the pressure and the internal pain, there's so many different issues going on. You need to embrace them. You need to know what they are. You need to sit down and, and list them and, and, and process them, but you don't leave it there. I'll come back to that. Here's what he says. We are to cast them on God. Why? Because God will care for us. God will sustain us. God will see us through is what he is saying to us here in this passage. He will sustain you. What does that mean? Genesis 50 verse 21 says this. So then don't be afraid, I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. This was Joseph talking to his brothers who were scared how he was going to respond to them because they had certainly mistreated him. And now he has total power over them. And he says, no, don't be afraid. I will, literally, I'll, I'll provide for you. I'll sustain you, is the word. I'll care for you and your children. And he reassures them and speaks kindly to them. I think that's how the Lord speaks when he says, cast your cares and I'll sustain you. But the passage that I love the most where this word is used is used in 1 Kings 17. This is the story of a guy named Elijah who was a prophet. And Elijah had, had incurred the wrath of a, a really wicked king named Ahab who had killed a number of prophets and was looking to kill Elijah. And God said, Elijah, I want you to go to the eastern side of the Jordan River in the wilderness and I want you to hang out at a brook it's called Kareth, if you're familiar with the scene. And I want you to stay there at the brook Kareth, and here's what I'm going to do. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. Now, one of the beautiful things that happens when you're in a situation like David is you have the confidence that you have someone working for you, wanting you to come to you, that is both big and 
If you're feeling like David is in Psalm 55, your problems feel big. But you need a God that's big. But you also need a God that is creative, who can think of things that you couldn't map out. Well, here God comes to Elijah and he says, you know, here's this plan. I have this plan for you. Go by the brook and here's what I'm going to do. I'm absolutely positive Elijah didn't respond this way. You know, God, I was just saying to my prophet buddies, I'll bet God is going to send a bunch of birds for the next few months and he's going to have food in their beaks, and he's going to feed me every day by this brook. He didn't come up with that idea, but God did. God had this creative plan of seeing him through. One of the privileges of being a pastor for a long time somewhere is you hear stories. Scores of stories of God working in people's lives in just the most amazing way. Some gigantic and very big. Many seemingly not that gigantic, but to that person at that time, astonishingly big. Because it was so personal. It was so present. I think of the couple who had, the guy had lost his job and, and, and it was a real career situation. There were a number of things going on in their lives and they were taking a walk around the block and just crying out to God and, and needing to hear from the Lord. And they came back to their mailbox and it opened it up and, and it was out by the road and they picked out the mail and on top of the stack of mail was a postcard with the card facing up, not the address side, the other side. And it was just a verse that somebody had sent to them. And here's what it said. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted in the earth. To them, it was just God saying, I got it. Now, it'd be nice if it was a million-dollar check in there, right? I mean, that would be even cool. But they, that wasn't, they had what they needed at that moment. I remember the guy that I was talking to once. And he was telling him this story. He had gone to a park nearby and, and Again, a lot of stuff going on in his life, a lot of pain, a lot of confusion, a lot of, God, where are you? How are you going to possibly see me through this? And he, he was casting his cares. He was giving things over to the Lord. And he told me the story. He was sitting in his car. It was a spring day. He's got his windows open. He's sitting there, and he was reading in Matthew chapter 6. And God just gave him this verse in Matthew chapter 26 Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And the guy said, Mark, he said, I just finished reading that, and I was processing that, and he said, my window was open, and a bird came and sat on my window still, and I just sat there, I'm looking down at the bird, and a bird's look, and I feel like the bird is saying, we got it. And the bird went. Now, you may say, if that happened to me, nobody would know. Or you might say, maybe you'd say this. I never got any postcards. No birds ever came to me. There's something I found in all the stories that I could, if I could remember them, and, and would bring them up, my own stories, other people's stories, 
I would say in every one of those stories, there's one common thread. People were in a desperate place. People were in a place where they said, I don't see how God's going to remedy this. I don't see how God's going to get me through this. I don't see how we can get from square one to square two. And a creative God showed up. If, I will make this promise to you. If you turn to the Lord in desperation and really cast your care on God, if you really say, God, I need you to carry this, and I don't know what you're going to do, and Lord, I'm willing to do whatever you tell me to do. I will obey whatever you say to do. I will promise you, you will have a bird. You will have a verse. You will have a postcard. You will have God in his own personal way. Again, it might not be the million-dollar check you're hoping for, but God will sustain you. He is personally involved. He is present in our lives. He is the God that says, you can carry if you want to, but you don't have to. In those times when you're in over your head, in those times when you, you, when you feel trapped and you want to get away, when you're in pain, he says, this promise is for you. I will sustain you. The other thing he says is this. He will preserve you from falling. He says, I'll never let the righteous be shaken. The word shaken here, also translated moved, carries the idea of not being knocked off your ground. It's losing your footing. It's translated in Psalm 94, 18, when I said my foot is slipping, your unfailing love, Lord, supported me. In Ephesians 6, it talks all about the need of us keeping our footing. He says it this way, finally be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes in the gospel of peace. He says, I will sustain you. I'll see you through. I will enable you to stand and you'll be able to look back and say, God, when I looked at that situation or that season of my life, I did not see how I could live through it. But here I am standing and thank God for you enabling me to trust you. And that you gave me the baby steps along the way to keep going. Some of you are where David was when he wrote this song. You're in over your head. You're in deep internal pain. You feel trapped. And you may hear this sermon and you may say, that's cool. It's a nice story. I'm glad it worked for some people. But I don't see how God can sustain me, have me not be shaken. I don't, I don't see any way. You might feel marked. I, I hear you, but you don't know the power of my boss. You don't know my husband. You don't know my parents. You don't know the impossibility of my circumstances. You don't know the pain I feel inside. You don't know how scared and overwhelmed and hopeless I feel. 
Well, you can run. You can run to other stuff. You can run to booze. You can run to pornography. You can run to stoically keeping going. It's how many Christians would do who are uncomfortable going other ways. Sucking it up, keeping it going. You can run to workaholism. You can put your head down, push harder, try to silence the voices and the pain. You can run to self-destructive behaviors. You can, run to a, you can run to despair, throw up your hands, and sleep all day. You can run to a thousand other ways to escape. Or you can take this promise as real. Cast your cares on God, and he will sustain you. He, the big God, the creative God, the wonder-working God, the postcard, bird-sending God, with a thousand other stories that we could hear of others that you could tell your own individual stories of how in the midst of your Psalm 59 season, God just somehow showed up and saw you through it. This is a promise, but it is a promise that is conditioned on our humbling ourselves and saying, Lord, I don't know how you're going to see me through this. I'd love the whole thing just resolved. But I believe that my first step is to cast my care on you. So here would be my practical step for you. This afternoon, you go home and you say, babe, I need 20 minutes. And you take your 20 minutes and you get in a room by yourself and you write down all those things that are plaguing you. And if that's all you do, you're in a world of trouble because it's going to be worse. But you take those things and you write them all down and there'll be more there than you realize that are weighing on you. And you put them all down and then you take one, one after another and saying, God, I can't face all this. I don't have the strength. Even writing this down makes me want to throw up so God, take number one. I'm casting. Take number two. You're giving them to him. Now, will that totally be No, but it will start. Probably tonight. You're going to have to come back and, and say, Lord, I'm, 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 I know this one. I, I don't want to gnaw on the bone of this. I don't. I, I gave this to you. I'm giving it to you again. I'm casting it again. And I promise you, that you will feel some relief in giving it, but you will also see God sustain you. You will see God not let you fall. Or you can go the other way. And you can just pretend those things aren't there because you couldn't come up with them all that quick. You'll have to, if you thought about them, you could. And you can try to suck it up and carry it, but you're eating yourself up you're becoming a tougher person to live around, all those things. You're not living holistically, humanly as we're designed to live. We're not wired to carry it. We're wired to cast it. Astonishingly, we have a God that wants to carry it. He's offering to carry yours. Lord, we come to you this morning. There's some people in this room and watching online 
that are living Psalm 55. I just pray, Lord, that they would have the courage and the faith and the humility to cast their cares on you, that they can have their stories in the days to come of just how God somehow creatively sustained them through a season that just seemed all dark. Lord, we believe your promises are the key that unlock the door of doubting castle and giant despair. We rest in you to do that. We believe you to be a God that is for us. Please help people to have the courage to trust you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now go in peace to love and serve and enjoy the Lord.